I want to thank King Solomon for visiting us First Baptist of uh, Pasadena here. And we're going to ask the king if he can stay a while. And we're going to read some more of your wise sayings out of the wonderful book of Proverbs. Let's give King Solomon a hand here. <laughs> you know, this morning we are talking about breaking through negative thinking. So in a way we're talking about joy and joyfulness and being a person of joy. And one of the things that has perturbed me over the years in Christianity is sometimes we as Christians, when it comes to joy, we sometimes come across as fake and superficial. So one of the things that we want to address right here at the beginning of this message is that the Bible is a very realistic book. The Bible doesn't talk about life being all flowers. You know, the Bible talks about life and death. It talks about war and peace. It talks about joy in a very realistic and practical way. The Bible talks about uh, crying with those who weep and rejoicing with those that are glad. So that's one of the things I want to say right off the bat here. You are not going to hear a message this morning about psychobabble and positive thinking and positive confession that all you have to do is just go out there and be positive. That's not what we're doing here this morning. We want to go through God's Word and learn truly what joy is all about. If you notice this morning, King Solomon read from Ecclesiastes, a wonderful book you wrote many years ago. And he read from Eugene Peterson translation, The Message. And speaking of Eugene Peterson, we have a very important quote from Eugene concerning joy. It reads, King Solomon challenges the naive optimism that assumes that being on God's side carries with it wisdom to solve all of the world's problems and the favoritism to get answers to all our prayers. We often have unbiblical expectations of who God is and what He will do, hoping He'll give us the life we want instead of the life He wants for us. And one of the things that I remember hearing as a young man, as a young Christian man, is that when you become a Christian, God will solve all your problems. I even heard it said, well, Christians aren't supposed to get sick. Christians aren't supposed to have problems. That's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. If we read some of the writings from Solomon in his wonderful book, the Proverbs, it talks about having cheer in spite of the circumstances. In Proverbs 17, verse 22, the Bible says in the NIV translation, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. See, life is difficult. Life is problematic. There is sickness and bankruptcy and death in life. But what the Bible offers us is a medicine. It is an antidote to what's going on in our society today. And in Proverbs, we read that good cheer is like medicine. And we need that medicine today. 
In the New Living Translation version, we read, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. We also read in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, reading from the NIV, A happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. In the message translation we read, A cheerful heart brings a smile to your face, and a sad heart makes it hard to get through the day. Wise sayings from King Solomon. And at this moment, King, uh, I know you need to go back and deal with the duties of running Israel, so let's give the King another applause. Thank you so much, King. You know, one of the things that I discovered this past week as we were preparing our volunteers for the Parent Project, we asked Ruth Jamison to come and to train some of our Parent Project volunteers on a children's curriculum. And one of the things that Ruth has been doing in our children's department with our own children is they've been going through the curriculum of the fruit of the Spirit. And it just really blessed me to go through this curriculum that my own children are going through. And... Um, they're going through the fruits of the Spirit. And let me read you a list of the fruits of the Spirit. We find this in Galatians chapter 5 at verse 22. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So our message this morning about breaking through negative thinking and being a person of joy, it's not based on psychobabble. It's not about being superficially happy. Being people of joy is being people that we are living out or manifesting the fruits of the Spirit. In other words, if God is working in our life, if the Holy Spirit is working in our life, love and joy and gentleness and peace and self-control will be a result of that. But then there are weeks in my life and there are weeks in your life where you're negative when you're grumpy, when you're irritable, right? And I've heard some people say, you know, I'm just in such a bad place. I just feel so far from God. I feel spiritually dead. I've even heard some people say that I'm backslidden. There's sin in my life. Where's the joy? Where's the self-control? Where's the faithfulness? And in one of the parables of Jesus, Jesus talked about the weeds. He talked about the planter who planted a seed. We're not reading that scripture yet. I'm talking about another scripture. But that's a good scripture. We'll get to that scripture. And this planter planted a seed. And the weeds came up. And they choked that plant. And that plant couldn't grow. And it's so interesting how God works. It's so interesting how life is. Because this week, I've been immersed in scripture about being joyful and being positive. And guess what kind of week I've had? A bad week. Right? I've been extra grumpy and extra irritable. I mean, yesterday I thought I was just going to lose my head with the kids. My little three-year-old said, Dad, why do you always have a sad face all the time? So the week I'm trying to be positive and joyful, and I said to myself yesterday, how can I preach about joy tomorrow? I'm the opposite of joy right now. And you know what I realized? It's that parable of Jesus. I have too many weeds in my life. And the weeds are choking my spiritual growth. What are the weeds you have in your life? What are the weeds I have in my life? Jesus talked about them. 
anxiety, stress, worry, the cares of this world, worrying about clothes and food and gas prices. I mean, you turn on the news, you read the newspaper, are they worried about a lot of stuff? Are they whining about a lot of stuff? And guess what they want you to do? They want you to whine and worry about that stuff too. And there just comes a point in time where you just have to draw a line in the sand and say, Enough! I'm going to focus on heavenly things. I'm going to focus on God's Word. And I'm not going to let the things in life choke the life and joy out of me. Are you with me this morning? So the Bible doesn't talk about a superficial, psychobabble, happy type of joy. It talks about a serious, mature, practical type of joy that we're going to get into. And now you can bring up that scripture, Tim, please. In Luke 12, verse 22, Jesus, turning to His disciples, said, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. Because life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for God feeds them. And you are far more valuable. Say it. I am more valuable. Say it. Amen. To Him than any bird's. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? You want to know how I got over the rut of worrying? I got over the rut of worrying when I realized it was a sin to worry. Simple as that. You know, in the Bible it talks about husbands, love your wife. I always thought, hey, you know, that's an option. That depends what mood I'm in, right? That depends how good dinner is. Okay, it's a 20-year-old kid thinking. And it took a man to tell me, you know what, Eddie? The Bible says love your wife and it is not an option. You do it. It's a commandment. And I stepped up to the challenge. Much in the same way Jesus tells His disciples, He tells us today, don't worry. And I came to that realization that worrying is a sin. That worrying is disobeying Christ. And I don't want to disobey Christ. Jesus tells us, stop worrying. Because when worrying and anxiety and stress take over our lives like weeds, it will choke the life and the joy out of us. Yes or no? Thank you. In Luke 21, verse 34, Jesus goes on to say, and I'm reading from the Amplified Bible, But take heed to yourselves and be on your guard lest your hearts are overburdened and depressed, weighed down with the giddiness and headaches and nausea of self-indulgence, drunkenness, and worldly worries and cares pertaining to the business of this life. Can we say it any other way? Can we look at our lives any other way, folks, this morning? This seems to be a running theme with the message of Christ, isn't it? 
unless that day come upon you suddenly like a trap or a noose. In Hebrews 12.2, we read about the joy that we find in the Bible, the kind of joy that the Bible talks about. In Hebrews 12.2, we read, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I worked really hard to find this picture. We can go back to that picture. Because you see Jesus looking at His cross with His hands open. And the Bible says that He endured it with what? With joy. Does anybody endure with joy going to the dentist? Right? Do any men out there endure with joy getting nagged, take out the trash, fix the plumbing? You get, you endure that with joy? I don't. I confess that to you this morning. But when I read this, that the Bible says that Jesus looked at the cross and he endured it with joy, my reaction is I got a long way to go. And joy isn't about superficial happiness. I've come to the realization that joy is not based on feelings or emotions. I've come to the realization that joy is not based on circumstances. But joy is something that mature and grown-up people experience and choose to live their lives by. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And I wanted to take a quick look at the story of the four lepers in the Old Testament. Because these four men exemplify what many people in the world are dealing with. With the war and the economy and sickness and all the things that are going on. I thought it would be great to look at a real practical illustration of how four guys overcame very difficult circumstances and choose, who chose joy over sickness and death. In 2 Kings chapter 7, if you look in your Bibles, please, in, in the Old Testament, and if you don't have a Bible today, you can follow along in the slides. It's really a great story. Now the Bible reads, Now there were four men with leprosy at the entrance of the city gate. They said to each other, Why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. And if we stay here, we will die. So instead of just staying here and dying, what did they say? So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans and surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, then we die. So at dusk they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, not a man was there. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittite and Egyptian kings to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and donkeys. They left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents. They ate and they drank and they carried away silver, gold and clothes and went off and hid them. They returned and entered another tent and took some things from it and hid them also. Then they said to each other, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news and we are keeping it to ourselves. 
If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let us go at once and report this to the royal palace. You know what? I love this story every time I read it because here you have four leprous men that are not even allowed to go into town. Because we know in the Bible, leprosy was something that was considered unclean and highly infectious. In Judges, what is happening in this time in the Bible, more than 2,000 years ago, is that there was a famine in Samaria. And I hate to say it, but people were literally having to eat their children. It's a horrible thing. But there was a famine in that city. And not only was there a famine, but Israel was under siege by a foreign army. So things were pretty bleak. I mean, destruction. I mean, in just a matter of days, if the people didn't die because there is no food, the enemy would come in and they would kill everybody and burn everything. So there was no options here. I mean, it was over. I don't think it can get any more bleak than that. And sometimes that's how we feel in life, right? Even though our situation isn't as bad as that, if you get rejected... If you don't get a certain answer to prayer, if you're feeling certain discouraged this week or emotional this week, I mean, sometimes we feel like this. It's a very bad situation. So what I like about these four lepers is that they were very practical. They were very practical. And they said, you know what? If we stay here, we're going to die. So what's the point of just sitting here and dying and giving up? These guys says, we're going to put up a fight. We're going to take a stand. We're going to do something. And that's what breakthrough negative thinking is all about. If you are dealing with negative thinking, if you are addicted to negative thinking, if you are tired of making other people unhappy because you're so unhappy, today is your breakthrough day. And the way these four lepers were able to break through is that they got up and they were willing to do something about it. So I'm asking you today, are you willing to do something about it? Are you willing to take action today? And that's what these four men did. They decided to take some action. So the Bible says when these guys got up and went into the camp, guess what the enemies heard? What did they hear? Four leprous guys going for a walk? No. The Bible says that they heard a mighty army. And those guys ran for their lives. And when the four lepers hobbled into that camp, there was silver there, there was gold there, there was food there. I mean, it was like kids at Disneyland. It was awesome. Because they took a stand. They took action. They took positive action. And then when they were enjoying the spoils and the treasure and the food, what did they say? We can't do this just for ourselves. We got to go back and tell everybody. We got to share it with other people. Just like the good news of Jesus Christ. So our first point this morning about these uh, four leprous men is that the lepers overcame negative circumstances with a positive outlook, a positive attitude, and determined action. Okay? So one of the things we learned last week about reaching men and reaching dads is that people don't want to just come to church and learn and think. You know, people want action. Right? We don't want to just come to church and our heads get bigger with more knowledge. We actually want to go out and do something with our hands. And that's what these lepers did. 
They made a decision. They had a positive outlook, and then they took determined action because they marched into that camp. So what is a negative attitude or negative thinking? I got a picture of somebody up here. Okay? Is, uh, let's keep that picture up there a little bit. Okay, I don't have my glasses on. Is that blurry? A little, bit, a little bit out of focus, huh? What is a negative attitude or negative thinking? So I got a list of a couple of things that I want to go through one at a time. Okay? Negative people are very extreme in their thinking. They think things are all bad or all good. For instance, no one talked to me at the party. Everybody hates me. That's extreme thinking. That's negative thinking. Okay? And one of the things that grandpa and grandma taught us is always think the best. Always give people the benefit of the doubt. Correct? And sometimes negative folks, it's all black or all white. It's all or nothing. Kind of an attitude of a gambler. It's an addictive attitude. Very extreme. No one talked to me. Very insecure. Very low self-esteem. Everyone must hate me. We don't need to assume that because no one talked to us at a party. What is a negative person? Uh, coming to a negative conclusion based on one bad experience. I had a bad week at work. I'm quitting, man. Guess what? Do we all have bad weeks at work? Yes or no? Do we all have bad days? It's part of life. Get used to it. Number three. Negative people think people always think poorly of you. You know, people don't, people think I'm dumb. Or God doesn't love me. You know, that's negative thinking. That also demonstrates low self-esteem and paranoia. And you are fearfully, wonderfully made. Uh, number four, here's a classic one. Negative folks expect the worst, right? I won't get this promotion because nothing good ever happens to me. Right? Stop that. The fifth one. Believing everything revolves around you or is in a reaction to you. You know, my spouse is in a bad mood. It must be something I've done. Right? These kind of people, it's me, me, me. What about my feelings? What about what I want? We're not the center of the universe. We're not the center of our universe. Who's the center of our universe? Who do we revolve around? Who's the center of our universe, folks? God, you guys can talk to me. Okay? I'm used to preaching in a Latino ethnic church, and they're always talking to me. So you guys can talk to me. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Say amen or ouch. One or the other. The sixth thing. Believing those around you should act or feel in a certain way. You know these kind of people? They're the perfectionists. People should do things the way I do it. People should be more assertive. People are usually wrong and need to change. That's negative. You're putting off a negative vibe. Last one, labeling. This is a tough one here. I'm a loser. Or maybe you label other people. People are all bad or mean. You know? Um, maybe you know a negative person. A uh, very interesting quote here. Uh, someone once said that negative people are like human black holes. 
They suddenly come out of nowhere and just suck the life out of you. You try to stay positive and remain strong, but their negativity ends up just completely draining you. You feel exhausted, and you may also start to feel depressed too. I mean, believe it or not, my actual goal in life is to be a blessing to other people. Truly. I truly want to encourage people and brighten up people's day. And sometimes I don't. See, our goal in life is to let our light shine. Our goal in life is to come with good news. The, new, the good news of Christ. But sometimes there are folks in our lives, or sometimes we are those folks, where we come to a spouse, we come to our friends, we come to our church, we come to our organization, whatever the case may be, if we bring negativity to the table, we're going to suck the life, the energy, the joy, the passion out of the room. Right? We want to reach this city. We're going to start a new program. We're going to do this outreach. We're going to change up the music a little bit. Ah, it won't work. Suck the life and the energy, the passion and the joy and the vision out of the room. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that negative black hole person. How do you know you're near a negative black hole? Uh, you, you experience a sense of being demeaned, constricted, or attacked. Okay? You intuitively feel unsafe, tense, or on guard. You know, what's he going to say now? What's he going to say now? You sense prickly, off-putting vibes. You can't wait to get away from them. Your energy starts to fizzle. You may feel beleaguered or ill. Now, does anybody want to leave this place being this negative person? Because you're going to drive everyone away from you. I don't want to be this person. I want to be that person that has the good news of Christ. Here are the classic roles negative people play. The first one is the sob sister. Okay? This is the person always coming to you, needing to be rescued, and life's always... Uh, a situation and difficulty. Uh, an another role negative person plays is the blamer. This person comes to talk to you and they're blaming this person and that person and they're constantly blaming. That's draining. The drama queen. That's also a negative role. Uh, drama queens suck the life out of you, don't they? Right? It's, it's, it's a lot of work to keep a drama queen happy. Okay? I do not want to be a personal assistant for a drama queen. That's a negative person, or a, ne a negative role a person plays. Uh, the fixer-upper. This is the person that requires endless help. Or the perfectionist. That's a person who usually is very critical, always pointing out what's wrong, or is always deconstructing. The food's not good enough. You didn't do it the right way. Man, I'm getting drained just going through this list. I'm done with this list. So what did the four lepers do? Number two, the lepers learned and applied what they learned from their breakthrough. Okay, That word learned is very important. Uh, it says here, we're not doing right. This is a day of good news and we're keeping it to ourselves. If we wait until daylight, punishment will overtake us. Let's go at once and report this to the royal palace. When you've had your breakthrough and you found joy, you want to share that joy. And I experienced my personal breakthrough with this in my late 20s. And it's been my mission to share what I've learned about being a joyful person 
to everyone since then. And it's about your attitude. It's about getting up in the morning and setting your clock and your dial to joy. Because it's a choice we make every single day. You can get up in the morning and set your dial for cranky, irritable, angry, and critical. That's a choice you make. Or you can set your dial, I'm going to be a person of joy. And I'm going to bring life to every circumstance I encounter through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of His Holy Spirit. Now the word learning. I'm going to finish off here with these, um, just a very deep and profound scripture out of Philippians chapter 4. Verses 11 through 13. Just the words of Paul. Just take a look at that picture of Paul where he's sitting. Okay? For I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the what? The secret of being content. See, it's a secret. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Does anyone say amen to that? I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Amen. So this joy that the Apostle Paul found, what was this joy that he found? I mean, there are some of us that are waiting for our ship to come in. Right? We're just sitting around waiting. One day my ship will come in. One day I'll get that phone call. One day my life will come together. Right? Perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect, uh, you know, you know, situation. Recognition, fame, whatever you want to call it, when everything comes together, then I'll finally be happy. Guess what? It doesn't work that way. Joy is something you learn. It's not based on a feeling or an emotion. It's discipline. It's learning. And if you take a look at that picture of Paul, let's go back to that slide and put that picture of Paul. Where is Paul sitting? Is he sitting at the suite at the Ritz-Carlton here in Pasadena? Where is he sitting? He's in jail. He's in Rome. He's waiting for his head to get chopped off. He's waiting to die. Okay? And he was probably nearly blind too. That's why he had a right so big. And in that situation, facing death, facing not a lot of food, not a lot of water, he says, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned the secret of being joyful. I have learned, I have learned to be content no matter the circumstances. So when I see a person who's unhappy and negative and not joyful because of their job or because of the boss or because of the price of gas and because of the economy and because of the neighborhood and because of the weather, what do I say? You have to learn. You have to learn to be joyful. And it's a secret. It's a secret. He learned the secret. Do you want to find out what the secret is this morning? What is the secret? Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Here's the secret. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now this is just like worry and this is just like love your wife. Is this a suggestion? Guys, when the Bible tells us to do something, is it a suggestion? It's a command. 
But what about if we don't feel like rejoicing? Does that matter? Guys, talk to me, guys. If we don't feel like rejoicing, do we have to rejoice? Yes. Is it based on circumstances? Maybe you came in today and you didn't like the music. Well, I'm not going to rejoice because I don't like the music. The Bible tells me rejoice, not once, but it tells me twice. It's not a suggestion, it's a commandment. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. Jesus talked about that. But in everything, everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And here it goes. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, you put forth thanksgiving, you put forth your prayers, don't be anxious, don't worry, you give that to the Lord and the Lord's going to give you His part, which is peace that transcends all understanding. And it's going to guard your heart and your mind from all the negativity in this world. Because I still believe what Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. It's death. That's what's out there. It's death. And then Philippians 4.9, the secret here. I'm going to close with this. You're going to love this. Keep putting into practice all you... Put it into practice what you've learned. You've learned how to be joyful. And received from me everything you've heard from me and saw me doing, then the peace of God will be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I give you praise today. And I do sense a, a somber mood in our congregation today. Uh, maybe it's the weather. We can make all kinds of excuses the economy the spouse, the kids, the job. Lord God, we can give all kinds of excuses why we lack that joy, that passion, that drive, that hunger, that excitement, that enthusiasm concerning the good news of Christ. And Father God, I have a room full of folks this morning that want to learn and put this stuff into practice. And Father God, it's through the power of Your Holy Spirit. It's through the fruits of the Spirit that we can truly experience joy and peace and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. So, Father God, we come to you as a group. We come to you as a congregation and we confess our sins. We ask you, Lord God, that you would cover us, that you would forgive us of our sins with your precious blood. Forgive us, Lord, this week for being critical, for gossiping. Forgive us, Lord, for being irritable and angry Forgive us, Lord, for being carnal this week and for being out of control. We ask your Lord God for corporate forgiveness. And Lord God, now we ask you that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to fix our eyes upon you, Lord God. Help us, Lord God, to take our eyes off the things of this world and the circumstances and to put our eyes on you, Lord God. We pray this now in Jesus' holy name. And the people of God said, Amen.